three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 361. Welcome in. Got a big show today. Going to talk about Tua. Going to talk about Justin Jefferson. Going to talk about uh, big news. Carl Nassib. We'll, I'll break that down. Share a lot of thoughts there. Uh, form of the one near the end. At the very end, we'll do Ask Zach. Uh, I got to remember to do the segment where I check my phone at the very end. I got to remember that. I forget that. I've forgotten that like two episodes in a row. Um, I got to say too, by the way, I turned up the audio a lot. So, um, if the audio sounds good, let me know. If it sounds bad, let me know. I know people complain that it's too quiet. So I've been trying to, I'm actually playing around. I've got multiple mics at, you know, where I live and I'm like playing around with different mic setups and let me know how it sounds. If you like it, let me know. If you hate it, let me know. I'm, I'm open to feedback and I don't be too mean, but I'm willing to listen. Uh, a lot of this episode today though. Is about the NBA. The NBA playoffs have been, gosh, they've been amazing. Uh, great storylines, great games. LeBron isn't involved. It's kind of cool to see different people playing in meaningful games. And it's the first time since 2010 that neither LeBron or Steph Curry is going to play in the NBA Finals. That's pretty wild. It's very cool. Uh, in round one of the NBA playoffs, the Clippers and Mavs series went to seven games. Uh, in the last round, you had two series. You had the Nets and Bucks and Philadelphia and Atlanta that went both to seven games, and they were phenomenal, had great finishes. And I just, man, I, I know that I, I just have to share my love of the NBA and what's going on because I've, I've had such a good time following. I, I've, I've enjoyed it so much. Uh, and I got to tell you, if you have not somehow been following the NBA playoffs, you're missing out. I, I really think you're making a mistake because you're missing out on phenomenal, phenomenal television, great competition, great sports, and many moments and storylines that are really interesting and really, really exciting. So let's start there. Uh, we will jump in here. Uh, one of my, you know, as I look at the NBA playoffs, one of my favorite things about the NBA playoffs this year has been watching Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. Number one, I mean, they are a young, cool team. And I, I love seeing them in a position where they're playing in meaningful basketball games. And uh, frankly, winning series, they beat Philadelphia. Uh, they beat the Knicks. They went to New York and had cool moments there. Um, and, you know, they're now in the Eastern Conference Finals. I would imagine the road ends here. A lot of people thought they wouldn't even beat Philadelphia. So uh, I, I'd be very shocked if somehow Atlanta, I mean, it would take like Giannis getting hurt, Chris Middleton getting hurt. I'd be shocked. If Atlanta made it past to the Eastern Conference Finals, but I mean, because they barely beat a dysfunctional Philadelphia. However, for Atlanta to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, that's enough. I mean, that feels like a very, very successful season for that to be. That's an amazing year. That's a win for sure. And I got to say, man, it's just been such a blast to watch their journey. And they're a team that's been down for a couple of years now. And uh, I can't help but look back at the draft day trade where. Remember, uh, you know, the the Atlanta Hawks drafted Luka Doncic, number three overall in 2018, and then immediately turned around and traded him to Dallas, who had drafted Trey Young, number five overall. And for lack of a better term, there was a, a brief period where, I mean, I guess the truth is that Luka found success quicker than Trey Young did. And there was a brief period where people I saw were critical, like, why would Atlanta draft 
you know, Trey Young. Why, why would Atlanta want Trey Young over Luka? And like, that's a bad move. And they look stupid. And well, here we are. Atlanta's winning. Trey looks awesome. And Trey Young is the face of the Atlanta Hawks. And it's really cool to see them do well. You can debate that trade for years. I'm sure we will. But the fact that Trey Young is panning out and doing very well, leading his team to winning multiple series, is that's exciting. That's fun. And the 2021 NBA playoffs, for me, have made... I've become a big fan of Trey Young. Uh, in round one, Atlanta played the New York Knicks. And it was so cool to see... The crowd is amazing. They were rowdy. They were into it. And I love a good, mean New York crowd. Like, New York sports is a different thing. It's New York and Philadelphia are probably. Boston's up there. Uh, I think the East Coast, frankly, is just a – they're meaner. Like they, And I, I love it. I really – if I ever um, was, like, a local sports radio host, I would want to work in Boston or New York or Philadelphia where people care. They're passionate. Uh, they yell at you, and it was so cool. Cool is maybe the wrong word, uh, but the New York Knicks fan base and their crowd was yelling, F you, Trey Young, chanting, F you, Trey Young. And they were not saying F you. They were saying blank, blank, Trey Young. And it's really cool watching the broadcast. Like, it was coming over uh, the broadcast microphones, and they couldn't, you know, the announcer's like, we're, we apologize for the vulgar language that the fans are yelling. It's like, nah, I don't care. I love that stuff. I think that's what makes sports really cool. And just imagine having all of Madison Square Garden, 18,000, 20,000 people yelling F you and then your name, chanting your name, F you, Trey Young, F you, Trey Young. And Trey Young leaned into it, man. He, he enjoyed that moment. In game one, he had the game winning shot. And it was, he literally. Shh, he, he shushed the crowd. And you're like, oh, yes, he's not afraid. Some people in that moment, I think, would have a hard time. And like, I don't know how Ben Simmons would handle a moment like that where he, he, he wouldn't. Ben Simmons couldn't handle that moment, frankly. Trey Young did. And to see him rise to the occasion and kind of take the hate as a compliment and say, oh, you're doing that because you think I'm good and you want me to fail. And he embraced being the villain and, I, this is a bad compare. I, I almost shouldn't say it because it's not quite fair, but it it, gave, it reminded me of the ESPN 30 for 30 with Reggie Miller versus Spike uh, Spike Lee. And it's it, I feel like it does a disservice to compare it to that because that the Reggie Miller moment felt way more um, like epic. And I don't want to take anything away from that Reggie Miller moment uh, years ago in the playoffs where Reggie Miller was the villain in the garden. But it, it did have a similar vibe where this guy is the new villain and somebody spit on him. And it's just like I, I, I just really enjoyed the way Trey Young handled that moment. For the dude to be 22 years old and, and really thriving under that kind of pressure I, I made me a fan for life. And the, the end of the series got chippy and Julius Randle got a flagrant foul at the end of the game. And uh, Atlanta won in five games, though. Atlanta won round one uh, against New York in five games. They moved on to Philly, and it's kind of crazy. Trey Young took on crowds in Philly and New York, like two of my favorite, their most passionate fan bases uh, in, in sports. I'm sure like there's some European soccer fan bases that are crazy too, but Philly, Boston, New York, and America, those are like the ones you're like, man, those people care a lot, and they will yell at you, and they're angry. And this Atlanta Hawks team won 
the series against Philly in seven games. And you're like, oh, man. To take on Philly, the Philadelphia 76ers were the number one seed in the East, had the best record in the Eastern Conference. And there was a moment before game four where Philly led the series two to one. And go listen to the broadcast. I encourage people to go, if you have a DVR and recorded it or something, go find the broadcast. Because before the game, people were talking about how, you know, Philly leads two to one and game four is in Atlanta. And then game five will be back in Philadelphia. And there was an expectation that the 76ers were going to win game four in Atlanta and then go back home to Philly and finish off the series and end things in game five. Nobody expected Atlanta to win that game four, and then they did. And the series was tied 2-2. And then in game five, Philly was up 22 points at halftime. They, in fact, we just more than, it was like three minutes and 25 seconds or some change like that. With, with about three minutes left in the third quarter, Philadelphia was up over Atlanta by 25 points. And they somehow found a way to lose the game. Trey Young started making shot after shot after shot. And just, it was impressive. And then to go along with that, Philadelphia completely collapsed. Uh, it just, they, they made mistake after mistake and they couldn't make shots. And it was bad possession after bad possession. And eventually, Phil- Atlanta, this, this team, this young team that wasn't supposed to win that series, wound up winning in seven games. And yeah, look, Philadelphia is dysfunctional. They, they certainly... Um, Philadelphia had moments where they should have taken the series and they didn't. But to see Atlanta do so well, especially, again, given the recent years that the Atlanta Hawks fan base has gone through, uh, it's so much fun to see this young team doing so well. And, and in Game 7, by the way, Trey Young was not the star. Remember, Trey Young was drafted number 5 overall in 2018. Well, Atlanta drafted number 19 overall in 2018, a guy named Kevin Herter. Uh, he had 27 points in Game 7. He also He's also a guy who's 22 years old. So... Uh, it's just a fun, young basketball team, probably overachieving. Uh, but no matter what happens from here on out, the fact that the Atlanta Hawks are in the Eastern Conference Finals, I can't say it enough. It's been a fun run. It made me a, a big fan of Trey Young. It actually it does not shock me at all that he went to Oklahoma with Baker Mayfield. The way, like the, There's a similar moment where Baker Mayfield in the NFL loves that pressure, loves that to be the villain. And it felt, I got the same vibe from Trey Young, a guy who's not afraid of the spotlight, not afraid to, in fact, he wants to take the final shot, which I, there are people out there, I'm looking at Ben Simmons, who does not want the ball at the end of a game. And the fact that Trey Young has that kind of instinct and that kind of attitude of, give me the ball, I'll take on 20,000 people chanting, F you, Trey Young. I just, I I love watching the Atlanta Hawks. It's been such a blast uh, to get to know this team and to follow this team. Uh, throughout the playoffs. And then I guess one more final thing I want to talk about, if I'm going to talk about Atlanta, like another cool part of their story is their head coach, Nate McMillan. So Atlanta fired their head coach midseason and then promoted Nate, Nate McMillan to be the head coach on March 1st, uh, earlier in the year. And he's coached before. He was head coach of the Seattle Sonics at one point. Uh, he coached in Portland. I remember him when I was growing up. I, I grew up in the Portland area, seeing Nate McMillan coaching games. He also coached in Indiana for the Pacers. And uh, with Nate McMillan as our head coach, Atlanta took a big step forward. Their point differential went from minus 65 to positive, you know, plus 114. And their defensive efficiency went from last in the NBA 
to second, which is that's that's a dramatic jump in of itself. But also their shooting got better. They started winning more. And you just if you're going to talk about Atlanta, you have to bring up the impact Nate McMillan has had on this basketball team because he really is a big part of the story of why Atlanta has done so well. And I think, frankly, again, I love this team. I love Trey Young, but they've overachieved. They probably I would be beside myself if they beat the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals, and then there's no way they beat Phoenix, right? I just I, I would be shocked. But the fact they got to where they are and the way they've done it, the the storyline is so cool. It's so fun. They're a young team. Uh, I think I've said that like 20 million times in this topic, but I I love Trey Young. I love the Atlanta Hawks, and they made me a fan of them. I really I've always been like, ah, Trey Young, yeah, we'll see. And his attitude, the way he handled that crowd in New York, is something that will always stick with me. And that I felt like I got introduced to who Trey Young is and how he's going to handle moments throughout his hopefully long career ahead of him. And uh, I just I've had such a blast in the NBA playoffs watching and following the Atlanta Hawks. Now uh, another thing I've loved about the NBA playoffs so far. Let me drink some water real quick. I really enjoy watching the Phoenix Suns. I, I just what they're doing, their story. Right now they are leading the. Uh, the Clippers in the Eastern Conference Finals, they're up two games to nothing. Uh, the Suns are, if the Suns win two more games, they're playing in the NBA Finals. And they just had a wild last second win in game two with a, you know, Don, DeAndre Ayton had a, like an alley oop with 0.9 seconds left to win the game. And Devin Booker's nose is bleeding. It's just like this, God, it's such a fun basketball team to watch. If you haven't watched the Phoenix Suns, I can't recommend it enough. If you're an NBA fan, you have. But if, if anybody out there hasn't watched Phoenix, go make it happen. Uh, Devin Booker is their star player, kind of the face of the franchise. Uh, for example, he had 47 points in game six against the L.A. Lakers uh, in round one. I did see the other day, by the way, Steph, uh, Stephen A. Smith, who is not my favorite person <laughs> in the media, uh, called him the next Kobe. And I, I, I hate that kind of comparison. I think anytime you're saying, you know, this guy is the next blank, it's just a statement that you're you're saying it for attention. It doesn't really do anybody service. Uh, like, let Kobe be Kobe and let Devin Booker be Devin Booker. Again, it's just a statement to grab attention. That kind of stuff, the way that a lot of people in the sports media inflate things drive me nuts. Um, like Kobe was a cultural icon. He won five NBA titles. I don't know. It's not fair to compare anybody to Kobe. There's not going to ever be another Kobe. There is no next Kobe Bryant. Devin Booker is the next Devin Booker. And I just, that statement always kind of sticks in my craw and drives me nuts. Um, and it does, again, it does Kobe a disservice and it does Devin Booker a disservice to compare the two uh, and say the next Kobe. But that said, Devin Booker is incredible, like so much fun to watch play basketball. And he gets any shot he wants. He makes it look very, very easy. And while Devin Booker is the best basketball player on the Phoenix Suns roster, my favorite player is actually Chris Paul. Chris Paul, a, a guy who gets a lot of hate. He's an NBA veteran. But Chris Paul is tough. He plays good defense. He's got this, this like attitude and this grit that I really like about him. He can score. And he's this awesome veteran leader that I think has really clearly pushed Phoenix over the top. And, uh, you know, I would actually, I would love to see Chris Paul win an NBA title. He's had this massive impact on the Phoenix Suns team. And, it kind of reminds me of Tom Brady, the Buccaneers quarterback, going from New England to Tampa, where 
the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had this great roster and they just needed a veteran presence to push them over the top and make a play or two when they need it, but also just create kind of really help that culture. And, you know, Tom Brady went to Tampa and pushed them over the top. They won a Super Bowl. I think the same is going to happen for the Phoenix Suns where they got Chris Paul. They were already really talented and pretty close. And Chris Paul is the difference maker to push them over the top and build the culture and get them to winning an NBA title. And I just, I, I think people are dramatically understating the impact Chris Paul has had on the Phoenix Suns. Uh, I know it's weird too. He had, he's got like, he got exposed to COVID and he missed game one and two of this new, of the Western Conference Finals. Uh, I might have said Eastern earlier, but Western Conference Finals um, with the Clippers, he missed game one and two because of COVID protocol. And it's been a weird series in general where Kawhi is also, um, you know, he missed game one and two as well for the Clippers. So, but I, Devin Booker is the best player for sure uh, in Phoenix. I would actually argue that maybe you you could make an argument that Chris Paul is the most important. What he's done, the culture he's created, the the difference he's made. I mean, what's really that different between last year's Phoenix Suns team and this year's Phoenix Suns team? The difference is Chris Paul. The same way you look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from two years ago and say, what how'd they go from a, a not a playoff team to a winning a Super Bowl? The difference was the veteran quarterback, Tom Brady. And I just see so many parallels between Chris Paul and Tom Brady. And Phoenix is such a good story. I mean, the story really began last year. This is why you can't give Chris Paul all the credit, because last year uh, the, the Suns got invited to the bubble in Orlando. And they didn't make the playoffs because other teams ahead of them did well enough that it didn't really matter what Phoenix did in the end. But Phoenix went 8-0. They did everything they could to try to control their destiny and make it to the playoffs. It didn't end up making it. But that momentum carried on from last year into this year. Then they also added Chris Paul on top of that. And you got to realize, part of why this story is so interesting is Phoenix hadn't made the playoffs in 11 years. It's been a long time. And uh, before the season started, I, I just, I, to, to go, I don't know, 11 years without a playoff berth to a team that might come out of nowhere and win a title. It, it's just a cool story. I like, I love that. And I love seeing them do so well. They're a blast to watch. The Suns play very well together. They move the ball really well. They talk very well on defense. I, I really enjoyed watching the way they defended the LA Lakers, forcing them to shoot threes, trapping LeBron inside, making a pass outside, and taking advantage of the fact that the Lakers really don't have a guy. They Their shooters aren't really shooters the same way you look at uh, like uh, Seth Curry or um, it, despite his struggles, Joe Harris uh, on the Nets. And um, I just, I love watching the way they effectively shut down the Lakers offense in round one. And I mean, literally hours uh, before I'm recording this, uh, the Suns' former number one overall pick, DeAndre Ayton from 2018, hit the game-winning shot, or I guess the game-winning alley-oop uh, to win game two of the Western Conference Finals over the LA Clippers. And just to have success after success after, like DeAndre Ayton's doing well, and Devin Booker's incredible, like he's, one of the best scorers, if not the best scorer in the NBA right now. Him and I'd put Kevin Durant up there. But the way that Devin Booker can get, can get any shot he wants. And um, I, I just, and then Chris Paul has been a big success story. And uh, I just one final thing I want to talk about with the Suns is their head coach, Monty Williams. Um, this is not his first time working with Chris Paul. Chris Paul played for Monty Williams uh, in New Orleans in the 2010-2011 season. 
And it's really cool to hear Monty Williams kind of reflect on the past, his, his, his former interaction with Chris Paul as a player, where you hear maturity and growth from the head coach, the guy who he, he's clearly changed his approach as the years have gone on. Where he said last time in 2010 when he coached Chris Paul, he tried to impose his will on the team. Whereas this time around, he didn't. He, he said literally word for word, he didn't want to get in Chris Paul's way. To say that takes means he's got a lot of respect for his, you know, his stud player, and he's trying to listen, trying to help his players, you know, give them the tools they need to win. And Monty Williams pretty clearly is doing an amazing job. He respects Chris Paul. Instead of butting heads with him, he said, "Hey, let's let Chris Paul be a leader." And you know, he doesn't. Chris Paul doesn't need a lot of coaching. I mean, he's a guy who's very self motivated, who has good ideas, who wants to. He lo- clearly loves basketball. He's having a lot of fun playing. I love watching the guy play throughout the playoffs. It's kind of been. I was kind of bummed actually. They won in round two. They swept the team. There, I was like, man, I I wanted more. I was like, <laughs> you know. And so it's it's just working so well. The two of them, Monty Williams and Chris Paul, and the, I, I would believe the impact Chris Paul has had on Devin Booker. And I don't know, man. I love watching the Phoenix Suns. They're such a blast and such a fun basketball team to watch, uh, and a really cool story. And I would I would love to see the Phoenix Suns win an NBA title. As as I think about my kind of my the, the future moving forward in the NBA playoffs, my dream NBA Finals that I, I really hope we get to see this is I want the Phoenix Suns against the Milwaukee Bucks, and that feels realistic. I, I think actually to say like uh, like I love Atlanta, the Hawks are awesome, Trey Young is cool, but that's a very unrealistic um, thing to hope for. Like they're 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 probably the fourth best team still left around in the NBA playoffs. Um, and I, I would, uh, prefer to see the Suns win. I, I love Devin Booker, but I really want to see Chris Paul get a ring in his career. I think he's a guy who's been monumentally underappreciated throughout his NBA career. And, uh, you know, between Chris Paul and Devin Booker, it's really easy to root for the Suns. And if it can't be the Suns, I would be very happily, uh, I'd be very happy to settle for, Milwaukee and Giannis. I think Giannis is another guy who is a two-time MVP to see him get his first title uh, and maybe who first, maybe only. I mean, sometimes there's like, for example, in the NFL, I thought Drew Brees is going to win another title. Never happens. So sometimes a great Hall of Fame level player who wins MVPs and is phenomenal only ever gets one real shot. And so um, if, if Giannis won a title, I would not be disappointed. Uh, I think the Suns and... Um, the Bucs are probably the best matchup we could possibly get for sure. I think Suns and Hawks would be uh, maybe maybe even a four-game sweep, like really not a, a fun series. Uh, in fact, I'm actually kind of disappointed that we missed out on. I think the, the Brooklyn Nets, if they were healthy against the Phoenix Suns, would have been an unbelievable series. Uh, but the Clippers have never won an NBA championship. It's not like I hate the Clippers, but Kawhi has won a championship before. And again, the Hawks are a cool Cinderella story, but I, I, I don't see them getting past Milwaukee when... Atlanta could barely beat a dysfunctional Philadelphia team. Uh, plus, again, Phoenix and Milwaukee would be a very fun series. I think the my if you asked me who's going to win, I would I would bet money on uh, the Suns winning it all. Uh, and again, I just can't say enough. I want to see Chris Paul win a title. He's gritty. He's tough. He's a good leader. And if it's not Phoenix again, I would settle for Giannis and Milwaukee. But I guess I'm really happy that it's not Steph Curry or LeBron. Um, I mean, all four remaining teams are 
good stories, whether it's Atlanta or the Clippers or Milwaukee or Phoenix. I mean, I we can't really go wrong here. No matter who wins the title is going to be a fun, exciting, interesting story, some history going down. Uh, I just, I, I'm, we're really lucky that both the Eastern and Western Conference Finals are so interesting and there's so much going on. And uh, the NBA playoffs to this point have been absolutely phenomenal. But I, again, I want to repeat my, my dream NBA Finals is to get Phoenix and Milwaukee. And that feels very, very realistic and uh, achievable. By the way, the NBA draft lottery just happened. Here are the results. Uh, the Detroit Pistons got the number one overall pick. Uh, the number two pick was the Houston Rockets. And I'll give you the top ten. Uh, number three are the Cleveland Cavaliers. The fourth pick is the Toronto Raptors. The fifth pick is the Orlando Magic. The sixth pick is the OKC Thunder. The seventh pick is the Golden State Warriors. Uh, the Orlando Magic, again, have another pick, the number eight pick. The Sacramento Kings have the number nine pick. And the New Orleans Pelicans have the number ten pick. And here are a couple of the top prospects that are projected to be like top ten picks. You have... Uh, Cade Cunningham, a point guard out of Oklahoma State, is expected to go number one overall to Detroit. That's kind of everywhere you look, that's every mock draft has him as the number one overall pick. And then you have Jalen Suggs, a point guard from Gonzaga. You have uh, Evan Mobley, a center from USC. You have Jalen Green, a shooting guard uh, from the G League. Davion Mitchell, a point guard from Gonzaga. Uh, I've seen Donathan, uh, Jonathan Kaminga, uh, a small forward from the G League, mentioned a lot. Uh, then there are three more names. I'll, I'll name three more. Uh, Scott Barnes, uh, Scotty Barnes, excuse me, from Florida State. Uh, Moses Moody from Arkansas. Uh, he's a shooting guard. And Keon Johnson, a shooting guard from Tennessee. Um, I just, it'd be interesting. I don't, these are names, I mean, frankly, like I, I literally, I, one day, I didn't want to say nothing about the NBA lottery. I don't know any of these players. I, don't, I know like Davion Mitchell's name. I know Jalen Suggs had a big shot. I remember him hitting a game winner uh, in the NCAA tournament. Um, the, the kid from Oklahoma, Cade Cunningham is amazing. Uh, but other than that, those are like the names I know after that, it felt like you could have put their names in like an auto generator or like it could have been a fake draft from, uh, like 2k would have been like, Oh, those names sound realistic enough to be potential NBA people. Like I try to be honest. I, I never want to front and be like, I, I know stuff. I don't know. I'm just trying to give you whatever information I can that I saw on the internet. Um, and the NBA draft, uh, will be on July 29th. 2021 it's about a month away so um i'll do research hopefully by then i know more than i know now uh, but just for anybody who wants some like background information the lottery happened uh the pistons have the number one overall pick uh cade cunningham point guard out of oklahoma state is the projected number one overall pick by everybody out there so uh after that it'll be interesting uh but we will see what happens down the road All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. Uh, When I return, we'll do... I want to talk about Ben Simmons. I got a lot to say about Ben Simmons. I watched the entire... All seven games of that uh, Hawks-Philadelphia series. We'll talk about Kevin Durant. And then later, we'll talk about Carl Nassib. We'll talk about Tua, Justin Jefferson, the French Grand Prix. And then much later, we will end the show with Ask Zach. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. Um, I do want to say, you know what? Whenever I cover basketball, I get a lot of hate, a lot of anger. People say, I'm like, oh, don't cover basketball. You suck, blah, blah, blah. And I, I'll be honest, it makes me very sad because I, I love basketball. And I, I <laughs> like, if you hate it, fine. Have a good day. Uh, take care. I think 
uh, I can tell you a story about basketball without I, I, I didn't play in college. I not like I don't I, I admit like, I, I try to be very humble, I guess, when I talk about basketball because I I try to tell you what I don't know and I know what I don't know. And I uh, I try to never like front and pretend I know stuff I don't know. Um, so I just I hope there's an understanding. I come at it humbly. But I love basketball, and I'm going to talk about basketball, and I, I care about it, and it's a passion of mine. I, the playoffs have been outstanding, and I, I do want to do a follow up too about the NBA draft. I, I kind of yeah, I took a break, and I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know, the problem with the NBA draft for me is that there's so many unfinished products. You have guys like Markel Fultz, um, Ben Simmons, guys who are just not they're, they're not going to make an impact immediately. I mean, it took Trey Young a couple of years to really make a big impact in, in Atlanta. And when you compare the NBA draft to the NFL draft, guys in the NFL draft come in often instantly. Day one are ready to go often. They're starters. They can make an impact. They're older. Their bodies are more physically developed. When you're drafting guys 19 years old, it often even number one overall picks take a little bit of time to make an impact. Now, that's, it's not perfect. That's not always true. Um, but often college basketball, I don't have an interest in following because I don't know college basketball as well. And then often... You combine that with the fact that usually the guy who's 19 years old isn't quite ready to play in the NBA, but he's being drafted because of the potentially has and the future impact he could have. And it takes two years where he's ready to actually be a big contributor. I find the NBA draft way less compelling, like way less compelling than the NFL. The only one worse is like baseball is terrible because you have like 30 rounds or some crazy amount and. Guys are being drafted, then put on a single-A team in West Farmingham, Chester, Pennsylvania that you've never heard of. And you're like, okay, well, I, I guess that player who was drafted number two overall, who's 17 playing high school baseball, is going to be maybe in 10 years a good pitcher. Like, you just don't know. So um, I, when I when I compare the NBA draft to the NFL draft, it just has no comparison. It's just not even, not even close, the... Uh, the excitement and the impact it can have because of the fact that most guys are just simply not ready to, to play day one in the NBA. They got to grow and get bigger physically and add to their skill set. Let's talk about Philadelphia. The Philadelphia 76ers are in a really tough spot right now. Uh, I, I personally am really excited to see how they handle things and what they're going to do this offseason. It feels like there could be seismic changes made and and coming soon in Philly. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers were eliminated in the NBA playoffs in the second round. They lost in seven games to the Atlanta Hawks. And a number of things went wrong. I, I'll list as many as I can. But the number one most glaring problem in Philly is Ben Simmons, their point guard. And... <sighs> I guess there's no other way to put it other than to say that Ben Simmons can't shoot. It's not a new problem. He's played four years in the NBA. Uh, he had uh, he was drafted five years ago this rookie year where he didn't really play and was hurt and who knows there. Uh, ben Simmons has only shot 34 three-point shots, 34 attempts in four years. He's five for 34 in four years. That's 275 regular season games. He's made five three-pointers. And, and some of those attempts, by the way, are half-court shots at the buzzer. So some of those aren't even really, like, solid, good shots and good attempts. Uh, now, he, so he's a point guard who can't shoot. And, like, not like a little bit. Like, really bad can't shoot. 
And before I get more into it, there, there's a lot to unpack here. I do want to take a moment and acknowledge that Ben Simmons does a lot of really, really great stuff. He's a fantastic defender. He was the runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year this year in the NBA. He's also a great passer. He can score inside. Uh, but his two best traits as a basketball player are his court vision and his ability to create shots for other people. And then Ben Simmons' defense is impeccable. He's a really, really outstanding defender. And I, I just wanted to say that, you know, before I go all you know, before I really kind of take, uh, not shots at Ben Simmons, but critique and, and I'm very critical of Ben Simmons, I wanted to praise him because you have to be clear, he does stuff very, very well, even though he's got this glaring massive flaw in his game, which is his inability to shoot the basketball. But Ben Simmons can't shoot, and it's a massive, massive problem. He's a liability at the end of games. I mean, you you almost don't want him on the court at the end of a game because the ball is, is in his hands and he can't do anything effective. And, and more than the fact that he can't shoot, it's that he's not shooting. He's not even taking shots. It's much deeper than a guy who has a lack of skill, it's also a lack of confidence. It's a lack, it's a fear. During the entire seven-game series against Atlanta, round two, NBA playoffs, Ben Simmons took three shots in the fourth quarter. Over, this, over the course of seven games, three shots in the fourth quarter. In games two, game four, game five, and game six and seven. So two, four, five, Six and seven. Five of the seven games total. He literally did not take a shot in the fourth quarter. <laughs> it's awful. In fact, there's a, a moment in game seven. It's, it's viral. You'll probably see it. He's 6'11", by the way. He passed up a dunk in game seven where it would have been contested, I guess, but basically turned down two points that would have helped his team win. To, to make a bad pass because it just seemed like he was scared of going to the rim. And I don't, I don't know. It must have been the moment because I've seen him make really cool dunks and make plays at the rim. Like, he's not a guy who tradi- – he, he can score inside. So, clearly, it's in his head where he is hurting his team in a critical moment, giving up two points. And, again, the problem isn't that he's – just obviously scared to take jump shots. The problem is he's not being aggressive. He's not even there. It'd be one thing that's like, yeah, I can't, I can't shoot a three pointer. It's even worse that he's not, he's compounding that by not being aggressive at all, not taking any chances. It's clearly a dude who's just lost in his own head and is just really, really a mess when it comes to confidence. The problem is Ben Simmons is supposed to be a guy that you build around. But in game two against Atlanta, he had four points. Game five, eight points. Game six, six points. In game seven, Ben Simmons only had five points in that series, in an elimination game. And there's such a painful contrast when you're watching Trey Young on the other team. Trey Young is putting up 35 points, 39 points, 34 points. You're hitting step back threes and making tough shot after tough shot. Game five, that comeback. Trey Young is making jumper after jumper, play after play. And when you're watching Trey Young on the other side, it becomes even more obvious how big of a glaring problem Ben Simmons is for Philadelphia. 
But he, here's the thing that I find most frustrating. Um, like, I, I know, like, I didn't play college basketball. I played college football, not college basketball. But I played basketball as a kid growing up. I, I, I've shot a lot of free throws. And I, I can understand, I guess, having trouble with shooting in a game. Like, shooting threes where it's a step back three or a pull-up jumper. You're on the move. There's a defender next to you. Uh, and a guy in your face. Like, I understand clearly the difficulty in shooting. I, I, I would probably tr- attempt a shot in the NBA and just get so, like, just the ball probably wouldn't even leave my hand. I'd go to shoot and the guy would literally, like, just cap me. Like, I just, it would be, it'd be so embarrassing. So I, I can't even imagine trying to shoot in the NBA. Like, I, I get the, the difficulty. And now, you are paid to make those shots, but whatever, that's a conversation for another day. What's truly inexcusable about Ben Simmons, though, is his inability to shoot free throws. This is something I can't get past at all. It's Shooting free throws is a controlled environment. There's nobody in your face. You're not moving. And I just don't understand how Ben Simmons has not at least gotten to a point where he can hit free throws in a game when he's played four full years. This is year four. He's been in the league five years, by the way. We'll forget the first year where... He was hurt and didn't play a lot. But it makes you question what Ben Simmons is doing in the offseason. I, I hate to be this guy, but like at some point you're like, is this a work ethic problem? Because I have seen Ben Simmons streaming Fortnite during the NBA offseason. And that's a really bad look when you can't even hit free throws in an NBA game. In game one, Atlanta lost by, sorry, in game one, Atlanta beat Philadelphia by four points. Philly lost by four points in a game where Ben Simmons was three for 10 from the free throw line. He missed seven free throws and lost by four points. If you just figure out how to shoot free throws, you win the game. You can make, if you can make even four more free throws, you tie the game and get overtime. I mean, it's, it's crazy. In game five, Philly blew a 25 point second half lead. And Philly lost by three points. But you know what's glaring about that game? What stands out to me? Ben Simmons missed 10 free throws. That's awful. He was four for 14 from the free throw line. That's crippling. That's unacceptable. You can't can't lose a game by three points and miss 10 give-me's. A free throw is a shot. You can't make five out of 10? You're four for 14 as an NBA player? That's... My fiance could do better. <laughs> like, that's embarrassing. Practice free throws. It's a controlled environment. I know there's pressure. I know there's fan. I, I know all that stuff. But you should learn how to master that moment. It's a controlled environment. I can't, I just can't get past the free throws thing. It's like, it's such a symptom of how this guy is a mess in his head. And then it also becomes a question of what's he doing in the offseason? Is he not working? Is he not pushing himself? Is he... Like hanging out. I mean, I, it'd be very tempting if I had millions of dollars to do nothing. I, I, you know, working is hard. I get that. But Ben is clearly struggling with shooting, but he's also struggling mentally. And you cannot build around a guy who can't score. That's a no go. It's just unacceptable. And again, for Ben to have been drafted five years ago, he's had four years to improve. You have to. It's unacceptable that Ben Simmons hasn't gotten better at shooting a basketball in the last four years. And what's really sad is I'm actually kind of optimistic that Philly could win 
with the right player. If you replace Ben Simmons with, I mean, imagine if the 76ers had Damian Lillard. I watched Damian Lillard literally last night. I pulled up game five of the Blazers Nuggets series. I, I, was, I was just like trying to do research and trying to remember this game. And I was trying to figure out CJ McCollum actually. And uh, Damian Lillard hit 12 threes and had 55 points in this game. Now, uh, it went to double overtime. That's 10 more minutes of, of playing time uh, by adding, you know, two, you know, five minutes and five minutes. That's 10 more minutes of game time. Still, to have a game where you hit 12 threes and 55 points, imagine the impact that would have on Philadelphia. A guy who can get pretty much any shot he wants. Just sinking three after three after three from deep. How much that would change the way teams that have to defend Philadelphia. When you watch Ben Simmons play basketball, defenders are on they're they're standing on the free throw line like they're they they give him they're like hey go ahead buddy shoot a three i dare you we we know you're not gonna first of all not only do you know that you probably can't hit the shot we know that you won't even take it so uh, like there's a great video it's by uh heat check where he breaks down lebron guarding ben simmons just disrespectfully just backed off like saying hey go ahead buddy Shoot it. I'm just daring Ben Simmons to shoot jump, uh, jump shots. And he can't make them, so he doesn't even take them. It's sad. And um, if the 76ers had Damian Lillard on their team, they would win a title easily. I am convinced of that. This is a team, Philadelphia, that I think is in a good position to win. It kind of reminds me of... The Chicago Bears with their quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, where you've got a good roster just being wasted on this guy you're trying to build around and waiting and waiting to develop, and it's just not happening. So I, I just am I'm really curious to see what Philadelphia does this offseason. And I would be shocked and disappointed if they did nothing. In fact, if they keep Ben Simmons, I'm going to be, man— how it feels really risky to keep Ben Simmons to just say we're going to double down, believe in our guy, trust the process. That's what their fan base has been doing for a while, and we're not seeing results. So I, I believe Ben Simmons is out. Uh, maybe they move Joel Embiid. I, I wouldn't move Joel Embiid, uh, but I will admit that Joel Embiid is far from perfect as well. I mean, he had in game five, he missed two key free throws at the end of the game, and. Uh, Embiid had eight turnovers in both Game 6 and Game 7 against Atlanta. Um, but I'm from Portland, and uh, I grew up there. A lot of lot, All my friends are Blazers fans growing up. And so my friend and I were talking. He suggested, like, hey, maybe Philly should trade for C.J. McCollum. And, uh, you know, Portland already has a guy that they trust and rely on to take the final shot at the end of a game. Damian Lillard. That's their go-to guy. They really don't need a second score. They need help on defense. And so, theoretically, trading Ben Simmons for Damian, for CJ McCollum, excuse me, CJ McCollum traded for Ben Simmons. Philly could use CJ McCollum, a guy who can create his own shot and be their playmaker at the end of a game. It would also give CJ some more responsibility he probably wants. Um, and it gives Portland better defense. So in this scenario of a Ben Simmons trade, I guess kind of the problem is, though, does anybody want Ben Simmons? Like, how much are people really willing to give up for Ben Simmons? I mean, I, I literally was watching the Clippers the other day going, maybe Philly should trade for Terrence Mann, who's a nobody, who had, like, the game of his life, and it's probably a one-hit wonder forever. But I'm like, at least, at least 
you know, Terrence Mann can hit a corner three. At least he's taking shots. Terrence Mann isn't scared to go to the rim. It's like, I, I just, man, I almost anything would be better at this point than Ben Simmons based on how clearly the dude is just a mess and lost his confidence and won't take shots. And it just, I don't know if anybody wants Ben Simmons. I, I, I can't tell you. There is a shot Ben Simmons can grow and develop. I mean, maybe working with Damian Lillard would help him. That'd be a good influence on him. Clearly, Ben Simmons need help. Uh, needs help. Ben, ben Simmons need help. I sound like a caveman. Uh, but I, I'm of the mind that you have to get Ben Simmons out of Philadelphia. Like he, he's not going to solve any of his problems as long as he's in Philly. Kind of also a, another NFL comparison is Sam Darnold, quarterback of the Jets. I mean, he had a awful experience. Just there was no way it was going to work in New York. They had to get him out of New York in order for him to have any chance of being valuable and revitalizing his career. I think it's the same with Ben Simmons. You got to get Ben Simmons out of Philly. Um, but it'll be fun, man. I I want to keep track of what Philadelphia does this offseason and um, what will the Philadelphia 76ers do to address their problems. I don't know, uh, but it's certainly something that I'm going to keep track of and have a good time following uh, this offseason in the NBA. Um... Let's shift gears. I'm gonna take. A, I'm gonna cut real quick. I, I know I gotta blow my nose really, really bad. Give me a second. Okay. Um, I want to talk about Kevin Durant because the Brooklyn Nets were eliminated from the NBA playoffs when they lost to the Milwaukee Bucks in a seven-game series. And I just, I, I don't know if the right surprise is not the right word here because I, I Kevin Durant is widely hated. Uh, by many, many people. Um, and after losing Game 7, I saw a ton of people dogging on Kevin Durant and saying, you know, it just I, I think blaming Kevin Durant for losing the series. And I, I just think that's very, very wrong and just a, a poor analysis of what happened. Um, I am not the biggest Kevin Durant fan, like, at all. Um, I've been very critical of him in the past, and the way he handles himself on Twitter has often been uh, <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, but I watched the Nets all through the playoffs, and uh, you know they beat Boston around one. They ended up losing to Milwaukee in seven games, and I I became convinced that if it wasn't for bad luck, the Brooklyn Nets would likely have won the NBA title. I mean, they they were I, I think the best team out there. A, a healthy Brooklyn team against Phoenix would be an amazing amazing NBA Finals. I wish you could have seen that. I feel like we kind of got robbed of that actually happening. And, uh, you know, in game one of the Nets-Bucks series, uh, literally 23 seconds into the game, James Harden hurt his hamstring. So James Harden missed uh, basically all of game one and then all of game two, all of game three, all of game four. And then uh, in game four, Kyrie Irving, you know, landed really badly and, Hurt his ankle. And so, I guess in, in Game 5, James Harden did come back, but he was a shell of himself. He was playing hurt. He could barely move. Literally, the only thing James Harden could do when he came back for Games 5, 6, and 7 was like a step back 3. I mean, he he scored 5 points in Game 5 and he came back. So, he was mostly a decoy. And for large parts of this series, there was no James Harden, mostly no Kyrie Irving, 
And on top of that, the Nets three-point shooter, Joe Harris, really, really struggled shooting the ball throughout this entire series. Uh, he led the NBA in three-point percentage during the regular season. And then in this series, he just, like, fell apart. In game uh, three, Joe Harris was one for seven from beyond the arc. And then game five, he was also one for seven shooting three-pointers. Game six, he was one for four. Joe Harris's shooting percentage just plummeted. So you have injuries. You have Joe Harris not doing anything really to help your team. And so for large parts of this series, Kevin Durant was alone against Giannis and Drew Holiday playing well and Chris Middleton and P.J. Tucker and Brooke Lopez. And, you know, Giannis is a two-time MVP, let alone all the help that he had. And so I just can't put this series loss on Kevin Durant. That's just not right. I mean, in Game 5, Kevin Durant played all 48 minutes of the game, had 49 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists. Again, and I repeat, no rest. So he's doing, he's playing the entire game, putting it all out on the line, winning Game 5, making it happen. And again, James Harden had 5 points in Game 5 on 46 minutes playing in the game. He was hurt. James Harden wasn't himself. Game 7 went to overtime. Again, Kevin Durant had no rest. He played all 53 minutes. James Harden had a better impact. He was a little better. He also played 53 minutes. But when you look at Kevin Durant played 48 minutes, you know, of of the whole game, because that's how long an NBA game is, plus 5 minutes of overtime, no rest, and basically no help, putting up 48 points in Game 7. And James Harden tried, but he was immobile. Like, he just, there was very little he could do. When you look at the context of how... Brooklyn lost to Milwaukee. I do not know how you can put that loss on Kevin Durant. That's incredibly wrong. It feels honestly cruel. It feels like you must have a clear and obvious agenda to just hate on Kevin Durant. If that's if you really say Kevin Durant should have done more in that series, <laughs> I just sorry, you're wrong. You're you're just dead wrong. I've never really liked Kevin Durant. I am the last person. I thought I would never be the guy defending him. But I walked away from this series really respecting him. Kevin Durant carried the Nets to Game 7. And people were saying, like, he didn't deliver in Game 7. I'm like, he was the reason they had a Game 7. Kevin Durant was unbelievable in this series. By the way, go watch the shot KD hit at the end of regulation in Game 7 to send the game to overtime. It's, I mean, literally like, I mean, if Kevin Durant's foot wasn't so big, that's a three-pointer because his foot was on the three-point line. He hits this long turnaround jumper. Ridiculous shot to send the game into overtime for two. And, I mean, go watch it. To hit that shot in that moment and then be critical of that guy who did that, I don't know how, you, I, I don't know how any sane human being watches that series. It must be the people criticizing Kevin Durant are just people who didn't watch. And we're, we're critical. Like, they, they look for any opportunity they can to pile on to Kevin Durant. I get it. He joined the Warriors. I get it. He, he ruined the NBA for a couple of years. But even me, a guy who doesn't really like Kevin Durant, could acknowledge that was amazing. The way he carried the Nets to Game 7 with not really much help and playing entire games with no rest. I mean, he between games 5 and 6, he played five straight quarters in a row. Of basketball. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Kevin Durant did everything he could. He left it all on the court. I certainly cannot blame Kevin Durant 
for the Nets losing to the Milwaukee Bucks. In fact, I walked away from the Nets season feeling really hopeful, optimistic. Because when the Nets first put together their big three, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, I went, ah, we'll see if that works because they're all different personalities and maybe the personalities won't work well together. And they had Steve Nash hired as their head coach. And I was like, well, Steve Nash loved watching him play. He's never coached in the NBA before. And I was worried about that. And uh, well, Steve Nash, Steve Nash, <laughs> Steve Nash, Steve Nash, trying to talk. It's English is hard. You know, it's, it's hard to talk. Um, Steve Nash was clearly the right coach for them where he's a guy who he's a former NBA superstar. He can relate to them. He worked well to, with them. Uh, and if, if James Harden and Kyrie Irving had not gotten hurt, right now, this moment, we'd be watching the Eastern Conference Finals tonight, Game 1, and the Nets would be the favorite to win the title. I mean, I, look, I, I Phoenix is phenomenal. Phoenix is really good to watch. They'll play really well together. But a healthy Brooklyn against Phoenix would be the favorite. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know how you wouldn't feel that way. The, the Nets, what I saw was bad luck. They lost because they got injured. And you can argue, well, conditioning and not play, whatever you want to argue. But I am really excited for next year. If Brooklyn can stay healthy, their future is bright. I mean, I watched them in the playoffs and they changed my mind. I'm a believer. I, I just, I, okay. I, I, I really, I think I even put out this will ne- a video saying this will never win a title. This will never work. Nah, I think I'm, I'm wrong. I, I, I really... The Nets changed my mind. I think they are a team that, uh, if they can stay healthy next year, that's a, that seems like a title contender. Seems like a team that wins the title. I do have two other takeaways from the series. Uh, I hate Giannis's really long. Giannis has this really long, like free throw ritual that just takes forever. And I like he does this like, like ten times, and it's like, dude, you get ten seconds at the at the free throw line, and. They almost never call it. It's so irritating. They count, and uh, they rarely call a 10-second violation, and it seems very like, how is this? They called it twice in the playoffs. Like, how is this a a violation to all the other times he does it aren't? It's like, are we going to call it consistently or not? Um, So I I hate Giannis's free throw um, ritual. It's just terrible and annoying. And then um, I guess number two, I'm going to really miss having a New York crowd in the NBA playoffs. I mean, there's something about New York. It's crowds in New York are special, especially in the playoffs, basketball, that there's a energy. And I would even kind of, I jokingly call it mean. They're mean. Like if you Trey, I'm going to, that's the Knicks, but I just, I, the Knicks got eliminated. I'm like, okay, Brooklyn is our last hope to keep a New York crowd in the NBA playoffs. And then they got eliminated too. And it's like, Oh man, I was so sad. I mean, other than the fact that I love watching Kevin Durant, do incredible stuff with the basketball. I was like, man, it's it's also sad that we're no longer going to have a New York crowd in the NBA playoffs anymore. I really enjoyed watching that. And um, I, I just, man, I, I can't say it enough. Kevin Durant should not be the person blamed. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about the Nets' future. They got unlucky injuries. I mean, you I, to put that on Kevin Durant is just wrong to me. I just, it's mean-spirited and hateful. Um, and if you look at it objectively and you watched the series, there's no way your takeaway can be Kevin Durant's the reason why the Nets didn't beat Milwaukee 
in that series. Like, are you on drugs? Like, how how is that your takeaway? It's how clearly you're not paying attention or you're a hater. Okay, uh, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about Carl Nassib. Uh, really, really big story in the NFL. We'll talk about Justin Jefferson. We'll talk about Tua. Uh, we'll do a, a topic about Formula One. And then later at the end of the show, we will do Ask Zach. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Uh, This next story is a massive one. It's a sports story because it is about an NFL player. Um, Although I I think really it's more of a a social issue. I mean, here's how I know it's a big story. My, My friends and family sent me lots of messages about it. And, you know, did you see this? And did this happen? And when Julio Jones got traded to the Titans, no one cared. Like, the, no one in my family was like, hey, did you see Julio Jones got traded? But when this happened, I got a lot of messages from people. People clearly care about this. And I, because it's not directly related to sports and I'm not analyzing a game or anything like that, I, I did want to give a warning um, where, because I'm going to talk about something that's more of a social issue, you can opt out. Now is your chance to fast forward or skip ahead. We're going to talk about Carl Nassib, uh, a, an NFL player. Uh, but I do want to start with this. Um, Michael wrote in on Patreon, something you can do as well. Go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. Uh, it's, it, you can write in on the show as well. Michael says this. Hey, Zach, just wanted to shout out Carl Nassib, the first openly gay active NFL player. Do you have any stories about LGBTQ teammates you've had that you'd like to share? Uh, and any thoughts or criticisms about, about why it's taken so long to have our first openly gay active player? Um, so, yeah, Raiders defensive end Carl Nassib came out as gay. Uh, he put a video on Instagram. Uh, let me read you what Carl Nassib said before we jump in and uh, I share my thoughts. Carl Nassib said, What's up, people? I'm Carl Nassib. I'm at my house here in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I don't want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. I really have the best life. I've got the best family, friends, and job a guy could ask for. I'm a pretty private person, so I hope you guys know that I'm really not doing this for attention. I just think that representation and visibility are so important. I actually hope that one day videos like this and the whole coming out process are just not necessary. But until then, I'm going to do my best and do my part to cultivate a culture that's accepting, that's compassionate, and I'm going to start by donating $100,000 to the Trevor Project. They're an incredible organization. They're the number one suicide prevention service for LGBTQ youth in America, and they're truly doing incredible things. I'm very excited to be a part of it, to help in any way that I can. And I'm really pumped to see what the future holds. That's all I have for you guys. I hope you have a great day. Uh, So two thoughts. Uh, Number one, this is a big deal. But it's not really a big deal when it comes to playing the game of football. It's a big deal socially. And I'll I'll explain what that means in a moment. It's clearly a big deal uh, to youth and to the the world in general. Uh, But in a locker room, all anybody cares about, especially at a higher level like the NFL, all anybody really cares about is can you play football. That's, That's a number one thing a football player in an NFL locker room cares about. 95% of guys don't care that Carl Nassib is gay, and the 5% that do, who might care, are likely just haven't been around anyone who is gay or you know, maybe you know, weren't aware they were around someone who is gay because it's pretty unlikely you never have met anybody who's gay. You just 
They might have been in the closet if you're in a situation where it's not safe to come out. Um, and maybe there are guys out there who are nervous about changing in front of Carl Nassib, that kind of thing. Uh, once they realize, hey, Carl's been in the NFL for five years now and never been a problem, and they realize, hey, Carl Nassib being gay, does like the, the small percentage of people that might be nervous, once they realize, hey, this doesn't affect me at all, uh, any, and, and then they talk to him, any initial discomfort goes away immediately. So I, I want to be clear about something. Uh, being gay obviously doesn't impact Carl Nassib's ability to do his job like at all. And I just I want to put that out there because I, I, I think there in case there is any concern, it, it doesn't. People don't care. He's, he's a good football player. Like it's it's fine. Um, and, and Carl plays defensive line, which means he hangs out with the defensive linemen all the time. They go to meetings together. They're around each other all the time. It would not shock me if everyone or at least some of the people in his position group, the defensive line, knew he was gay already. Like, but they might have just kept it quiet for his, you know, to be respectful to him. But it, maybe they didn't know. But it, it wouldn't shock me if guys knew and they just don't talk about it because that's disrespectful to, you know, come out for somebody else. And um, there's a word for that when you, anyway. Um, so, I, again. At a higher level of football, people don't care who you sleep with. It's just not – it's like, can you do your job? Are you a good football player? Are you lining up in the right spot? Are you making tackles when you're required to? That's most important to guys in the NFL. So I just – on the field, this doesn't matter. But off the field, uh, socially, it's a very complicated topic. Uh, religion is involved. And uh, some people have never been around guys that they know of. Um, that are gay, so there's a lack of exposure, and um, it, you know, I it just they, they don't have a lot of experience around gay people, um, you know, lesbian, straight, whatever, transgender, and I I don't want to sound preachy. I I hate when people on talk shows talk down to me and try to impose their beliefs on what I believe, and so I want to be clear: you can believe whatever you want, and I hope that you, while I'm allowing other people to have their own viewpoint, you also allow people like Carl Nassib to be who he is and not tear him down, not tell him what he should do or how he should live his life. Um, Cause I, I just, it, what's in my heart is acceptance and openness and, and kindness. And I, I want to be clear. Everybody is welcome to listen to my show and be involved, but also I, I don't understand if there's anybody out there who has a problem with Carl Nassib being gay. I, I gotta say, I don't understand why, because people can be different. And I don't understand how, if you're a football fan, Carl Nassib being gay could possibly impact your life negatively or, or positively. It doesn't – his personal life doesn't affect you. And I have friends who are gay, and honestly, I don't care at all. Um, I – my friends being gay doesn't affect my life. They're, they're, they're normal people who love sports and movies and video games and good food, and I, I've got lots of friends. I mean, you know, my friend Arthur – uh, is is married and has this beautiful marriage, better than most straight people I know. Probably, it might be the best relationship, actually, a, a role model of a good relationship in my life is my friend Arthur. And I don't understand why anybody would try to deny Arthur's happiness. I just never understand this desire to control other people and control the way other people live their lives. Uh, it's okay for people to be different than you and okay for people to have different viewpoints than you. Uh, I just would encourage people to let other people be themselves. I don't care who other people sleep with or who they love. It's not 
doesn't impact my life. Um, and I just I go back to Arthur. I can never get over that because Arthur's so sweet and his husband is amazing and they're so kind. And it's like, how could anybody deny this or feel like this is bad somehow? Um, and I just encourage you, let other people be other people. And I know some people will hear me talking now and their religion compels them to argue with me. And uh, I went to a religious college. I took Bible classes. I, um, I, I had three Bibles for my, for my different classes because you needed different texts for different classes. Uh, I grew up in the church. I, I know all the stories. I read the Bible a ton. Um, and I, I'm at the point in my life where if God is real, if God is real, I believe uh, in a kind, creative, loving God um, who is accepting and caring and I just encourage people, don't let your idea of God stop you from being a kind human being and treating other people well. Um, you know, I, I guess the best way to put it is before you leave a crappy comment on this YouTube video or uh, before you, you know, say something crappy on Twitter, just, you know, remember that if God is real, he or she would want you to lead your life with love and be caring and kind rather than attacking and hateful and... Um, for me, like the idea of God is so hard to understand. I, I would never put limits on that. Um, and so I just, I know that before you condemn anyone, be kind because the most important thing, I don't care how many Bible verses, you know, how do you treat people? Are you, are you kind? Cause that, that's what I care about. That's, that's what I value is how you treat other people. I don't really care how much you go to church or how much scripture you can yell at me. Uh, now, honestly, I, I did think that the response to Carl Nassib coming out was very warm and very um, kind. I was like, oh, I couldn't. I was surprised. Um, he sold a ton of jerseys. People, for like two days in a row, he had the number one selling jersey, which is an awesome deal. Um, for me, as a, a person who looks very, I don't feel very good about our society. I have lots of fear about the, the direction our, really everything is heading, how divided we are and all for me, it was very encouraging to um, – it felt like progress to have Carl Nassib come out and get welcomed and warm, you know, warmly – treated so kindly uh, made me feel like our society is growing and evolving. And I, it actually was the first time in a while where I'm like, wow, how cool is that? Like I, it really made me feel heartwarmed. Um, and I, I guess I'm sure if anyone doesn't like that Carl Nassib is gay, they're probably keeping quiet because they realize if they <laughs> voice that opinion, you're going to get shut down and probably attacked. So I, I do acknowledge that there's um, probably not, I, I don't know. But I just, I, I was surprised how positive the reaction was and, and, and pleasantly surprised and very happy. Uh, I remember when Michael Sam came out a couple of years ago uh, before the NFL draft and the response was different. There was way more hate. There was way more people going, you know, oh, is this going to be a bad thing? All this stuff. And he was a seventh round pick who, frankly, Michael Sam wasn't that great of a football player. And then he came out as gay. And I, when he didn't make the team, he didn't make the Rams roster. I wondered, like, is that because Michael Sam is a bad football player or because he's gay? And would another player who is maybe the same talent level who wasn't gay get more of an opportunity because it wouldn't be viewed as a distraction? It just Michael Sam was handled very differently than Carl Nassib was. And that was another moment of encouragement. We're like, OK, hey, we are at a different place in society. Even like it was only like five years ago, six years, something like that. We have come, made progress, and that's very cool. And Carl Nassib is different. He's an established NFL player. He's been in the league for five years. I mean, it, he's a guy who is secure in his job. And he was on Hard Knocks. I mean, there's a great clip of him 
when he played for the Cleveland Browns, explaining uh, compounded compounded interest in finances, and it's <laughs> it's it's likable. It's really cool and a, a fun moment. And he's already been very much embraced by the NFL, and the NFL also matched his donation and donated $100,000 themselves to the Trevor Project. Um, and I guess another thing, I, I probably should have said this immediately, I'm so happy for Carl. Like, for him to be able to um, be himself and be honest about that, and I don't know if he was hiding or not, but I'm sure he was. I mean, the, to have to hide who you are and not get to just shout it from the rooftops is probably... It's brutal, uh, and it, I just uh, I'm really happy for him. Um, it, it's pretty clear that the reason why he was sharing, I mean, you watch that video; it's it's genuine. He, he put out a video. I I read it word for word. Very genuine the way he delivers a message and comes across. And he clearly put this out there not for attention, but because he wants to help young people. Um, and any young people out there who are struggling with the secret and feel like if they come out, their teammates are going to get mad at them or their coaches aren't going to play them or, you know, even outside of the sports world, they're not going to get accepted. To see a guy like Carl Nassib get so widely accepted, I'm sure is encouraging for people who are uh, still keeping their, who they are to themselves. Um, and so Carl Nassib is trying to normalize coming out. And that, that's why I said at the beginning, this is a big deal because it is a big deal. It's going to really impact people. And I, I hope normalize this whole process. And I think what Carl Nassib did is really, really honorable. And I think, you know, coming out shouldn't be, by the way, viewed as a risk. It, it, it is a risk to come out because you never know how it's going to get handled and you never know how people are going to treat you. Like, I, it's sad that we're in a place in our society where some people feel like they can't just be honest from the jump. They have to keep their cards close to their vests and wait till they're in a secure position and feel like they can actually do that and they have a contract and all this stuff. Um... And it's sad Carl Nassib felt like until this point he couldn't uh, come out. And I, I hope that we get to a point someday, like Carl Nassib said, where the whole coming out process isn't a big deal and isn't – like it, hopefully it's not news someday that we have an actively uh, – we, we have an openly gay active NFL player. Hopefully someday that's not a, a big deal that I even make a video about because it's just like, oh, yeah, uh, not a big deal because we know that kind of stuff. Um, but I do want to say I think people don't understand – Carl Nassib made a sacrifice here. I think, again, I think people may not be aware. Carl Nassib, by coming out this way, um, he went from he went from a guy who would be viewed as just an NFL player to now he's viewed as the gay NFL player. And it's not fun to have other people reduce you down to, like, one part of yourself. I remember when I played – this is such a weak example because it's not comparable. I just – I often get called like a football YouTuber or I often get when I played uh, quarterback, I was like, oh, you're the quarterback. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm much more than the quarterback. And uh, imagine that magnified so much greater by, you know, coming out the way he did. It's just I it, it cannot. I know it's not fun to have other people view you as just this one sliver of who you are rather than, hey, I'm, I'm Carl Nassib. I'm not Carl Nassib, gay football player. I'm not Carl Nassib, even football player. I'm, I'm just I'm Carl Nassib. Nice to meet you like that. I, I, my heart in some sense aches for him because I know that's probably going to happen to him a lot in his lifetime. And that, that's that's sad and that's awful. Um, and it seems like he sacrificed so he could help other people. In fact, Carl Nassib gave out this great quote. He said, studies have shown that all it takes is one accepting adult to decrease the risk of an LGBTQ kid attempting suicide by 40%. So all it takes is one person 
to be accepting, and it almost cuts your attempted suicide rate in half. And he says, he continues, says, whether you're, a, whether you're a friend, a parent, a coach, or a teammate, you can be the reason that that percentage is dropped and that you can help someone from attempting suicide. That that means a lot to me. I think I've talked about it before. I know I have. Um, in 2016, my younger brother committed suicide. And so to hear Carl Nassib share the honorable reason why he came out, um, it's so cool to me. I, I love that. I, I'm so happy for Carl that he can um, openly be himself. That's so cool. And um, I'm sure that feels very good. So I guess in a sense, congratulations to Carl. Uh, and also thank you, because I know that I'm not gay. I'm, I'm a straight white dude. But I, I know that there are people out there um, who will see this and feel impacted and be grateful and feel relieved. And I know that there are people also who will see how welcomed Carl Nassib was, and that's going to give them a sense of relief. So, uh, Carl, uh, I guess you'll never see this, but I, I, I'm thank you, because I'm, I'm really glad um, and I'm hopeful this has a big impact on a lot of people's lives. And I think it's a very, very cool story. Hope I handled that well. I tried to be like the religion thing. I feel like I had to talk about. I tried to do it in a way that's kind um, and kind of like the best man. People, some religious people are so mean. And it's like, man, I. If God is real, there's no way God's out there going, hey, you better say a mean thing on Twitter. (laughs) There's just no way. It's not – that's not the God I would believe in if, if God's a real man. So I don't know. Um, I saw a really cool story come out of Minnesota Vikings training camp. Vikings veteran corner Patrick Peterson. He's an eight-time pro bowler, a three-time all-pro. He's, he's, clearly Patrick Peterson is a very, very good football player. He said this. He said this, uh, that at Vikings practice, Justin didn't want to go at no other corner but me. That's my first time I ever got called out. So apparently Justin Jefferson, every time he lined up, was like, hey, I want to go against you, Patrick Peterson. Like, give me everything you got. And I love hearing that because it shows how much Justin Jefferson gets it. He He's motivated. He wants to be successful. He had an amazing rookie season last year. He was my runner-up for rookie of the year. I would have given him rookie of the year, but I felt compelled like I had to give it to Justin Herbert. Uh, so I literally, in fact, I made up another award just so I could give Justin Jefferson an award for how great of a year he had. I think I called it like the outstanding season award or something like that. Um, it's just so cool. Justin Jefferson is so driven and he knows that he needs to be challenged in order to improve. And the awareness there, there's no doubt that Patrick Peterson occasionally, I mean, I'm sure they go back and forth. Patrick Peterson wins one uh, and knocks the ball away on the next play. Justin Jefferson gets a catch and, Losing's not fun. Like anytime you have to struggle or make your life harder, like that's not fun. Um, but for Justin Jefferson to lean into it and not be afraid to lose in the meantime while you're making progress as a player, that shows so much maturity and understanding. Uh, and it's why he is exactly uh, who he's exactly who you'd think he would be based on how well he how good he is at football. You're like, okay, that's why he's so good. Because he gets it and he works incredibly hard and he's not afraid to be challenged and to have to work hard and have to um, do something difficult. 
this next story, um, this story is about a week old, uh, but I want to cover it. It's very interesting, and I, I guess the best way to put it is that uh, on the first day of Miami Dolphins minicamp, second-year quarterback Tua Tungavaloa threw not one, not two, not three, not even four, but five interceptions at practice. Uh, now, for context, one was tipped, uh, another one bounced off of a receiver and ricocheted up in the air and uh, bounced into a defender's hands. Uh, it was also heavily raining, uh, and backup quarterback Jacoby Brissett, a guy who started a lot of games in the NFL, uh, also threw two interceptions, and I would assume on fewer reps. So uh, I'm not trying to make excuses for Tua. I'm just trying to share the context. It was raining hard. Two were not his fault, sounds like, and the other quarterback struggled too. So I, I, I'm sure the rain had a huge impact on all of this as well. And the reaction to Tua throwing five interceptions at practice, as you would imagine, was predictable. It was the usual, Tua sucks, and it's awful, and wow, how bad is that? And just a lot of people not believing in Tua. And look, having five interceptions at practice, that's a bad day at the office. Like, that's that's not good for anybody. That's not, like... Wow, like you want to have your starting quarterback shred at practice, for sure. But I would also argue that if you can't fail at practice, when can you fail and lose and learn lessons and grow? I mean, if if practice isn't a safe place to make a mistake, that's a bad, like, culture that you don't want to cultivate. I mean, I, I hate the thought of nitpicking a practice session because that's the process of improving. You make a mistake and you figure out what went wrong and you learn from it. And I I, I want to repeat this. Practice has to be a safe place where you are free to make a mistake. Um, You know, you make mistakes, you'll learn. Otherwise, if you, if you are not in a place where you're safe to make a mistake at all in practice, and this extends way beyond practice. It extends in your life. If you don't ever give yourself grace or room to make a mistake, you handicap the learning process and you're never going to take risks and you're going to live your life in a, a, probably a pretty negative way. So um, I, I just thought that the reaction to that was kind of weird and immature. Like um, if he's going to do it, at least he did it at practice, not a game and allow the kid to learn. And he's a second year quarterback in the rain against a great defense Two of them are tipped. I mean, it's just, I just, I don't know, man. Stop nitpicking practice. I I don't care what happens at practice. Tua's learning and growing, and let's allow that process to take place. Okay, uh, let's shift gears. Final topic before Ask Zach. On Sunday, we had the French Grand Prix. And, uh, oh, my gosh. what a, It's just a wonderful, outstanding race. Um and oddly, I'll be honest, it's it's kind of weird. As much joy as it brought me, I mean, it was just tense and fun, and it came down to tire strategy. As much as I enjoyed what happened on Sunday, I also don't have a lot to say. I mean, it was Max Verstappen versus Lewis Hamilton, Red Bull versus Mercedes, tense racing, wheel-to-wheel at the end. Uh, and Max and Red Bull decided to, you know, mid-race, they made an adjustment on the fly. They adopted a a different strategy mid-race where they decided to have a two-stop strategy. Uh, They took a pit stop during lap 19, and then Max took another pit stop during lap 32. And uh, Sergio Perez managed his tires very, very well and was in the mix the entire time. Um, And 
the in contrast, Lewis Hamilton only pitted one time at the kind of right the the difference right at the end of his 19th lap, I guess lap 20, in response to Max and. The result gave us a perfect ending where with four laps to go, we had Lewis in first, Max Verstappen on fresher tires coming up behind him, hunting him down. Uh, It was wheel to wheel, and then on lap 52 of 53, right at the end, I mean, down to the wire. You're waiting, and you're waiting. Like, Max is trying to chase down Valtteri Bottas. He passes Valtteri Bottas, and you're like, how quickly can he get to Lewis? Can he pass him in time? Before the race ends. And lap 52 of 53, Max passes Lewis in first place uh, for the lead and the win. And so the podium ended up being Max Verstappen uh, in first, Lewis Hamilton in second, Sergio Perez in third, and then Valtteri Bottas, the other Mercedes, in fourth place. Max also, by the way, got fastest lap. And it was, gosh, man, it was just, I, it was one of those races where you're, you're just like on the edge of your seat waiting. And it came down right that final moment. And uh, that, that's what I, that's why I love racing it, it, is that kind of moment where you're not sure and you don't know the ending. And I hate a race where I would, for Max Verstappen to lead an entire race and never be challenged, that doesn't sound fun. Even though I, I do root for Max more than I root for Lewis. Anytime anybody dominates, it's not fun. And so to have a moment where not only did it come down to the wire, but my favorite racer won was pretty cool. Um I mean, I, I'm rooting for, it feels like Red Bull week to week is becoming increasingly less of an underdog, but Mercedes is the top dog and has been for years in Formula One. So to feel like, hey, Red Bull really has a chance to beat Lewis and Mercedes this year, <laughs> that's awesome to me. Um, so right now, uh, Max has remained in the lead in the driver standings. Max ha- is in first place with 131 points, where Lewis is in second with 119 Nobody else is close to them. And then in the team standings, Red Bull's in first with 215 points, uh, 215. And Mercedes is in second with 178 points. Then there's only two teams in in the battle for third place. You have uh, McLaren has 110 points. They're in third right now. And Ferrari's in fourth with 94 points. Nobody else is close to them to challenge them for third right now. Um, and, And France, by the way, this past race, Ferrari got zero points. Uh, McLaren got uh, fifth and sixth place. So McLaren got a total of 18 points for the day. Ferrari got nothing. So McLaren widened the gap uh, in, in this race. And it just, uh, I guess, what's the math there? 110 minus. So Ferrari must have been eight because that's an 18 point difference. It's a 16 point difference. So yeah, Ferrari must have been in the lead uh, going into the race and then. Uh, McLaren took the lead from them for third. So it's just back and forth for our McLaren. It's really, really fun. I'm really enjoying that that matchup. Uh, I did take note that Valtteri Bottas was upset with Mercedes. There was a moment where on the team radio, he yelled and was upset. Why didn't you listen to me when I tried to tell you it was a two-stop race? And they, I guess, I remember clearly he did try to warn them. Hey, we got the tires aren't going to work. We got to take two stops. And Mercedes didn't listen. They failed to adjust. And I am telling you, People get mad at me when I say this, and I, I know the result was good this week. You know, the the French uh, Grand Prix, Valtteri Bottas got fourth and was in the mix the entire time. But that relationship between Valtteri Bottas and Mercedes, that relationship appears to be souring. Every time we watch a race, there's another reason to go, 
Huh. And I might just be it might just be wishful thinking. I might be like looking for problems that aren't there. It's very possible that I it's called what's the word for that? Um something some kind of bias where I don't remember the word um when you you kind of want something to happen so therefore you see it all the time. I acknowledge that's possible. But I just keep seeing little moments where if you want to believe Valtteri Bottas has problems with Mercedes, it's very easy to feel that way. And I just Man, I, I never feel that way with Sergio Perez and Red Bull. In fact, Red Bull right now has got to be ecstatic how well the move to add Sergio Perez is paying off. His tire management management is phenomenal. He's been outperforming uh, the Mercedes number two driver, Voucher Botas. He's a great team player with Max Verstappen. He's not getting in Max Verstappen's way. He's like, I'm happy to be here. I want to contribute. I want to, if I win a team title, that's good for me. I'm not going to, I know I'll never be world champion. That's Max's role. I get it. That's fine. Um, and he brings a lot of value to Red Bull. So Red Bull's very happy with Sergio Perez. And uh, really the only other thought I have from this race is just that the track was hideous. Uh, the track circuit, uh, Paul Ricard, I'm sure there's some French way I'm supposed to say it. Circuit de la Ricard. Uh, or something like that. It sounds really stupid. But I'm sure there's some better way to make it sound more French. Anyway, th- the track has these ugly blue lines uh, running along the side of the track. And it just looks like, I mean, Crofty called it psychedelic, which I, I think is a great assessment of that. Uh, it's just not appealing to look at. But in the end, the race delivered a great finish. I loved that. And um, I wish I had more. I really wish I, there was like more to talk about. But I... I all I remember from that race really was the the amazing, amazing battle between Max and Lewis and how compelling it was. And I was on the edge of my seat going, can Max make it happen? Can Max make it happen? And he did. And he won. And I'm shamelessly rooting for Red Bull. I think it'd be really cool to see them knock off the top dog. And uh, along the way, though, it, it, I'm not going to be mad if, if if Mercedes can find a way to respond and reclaim the lead and defend their title. I'm also OK with that. I'm not I'm not going to be upset either way. But as long as it's competitive and close and I'm not sure who's going to win till the final race or two, that works for me. I just don't want Lewis or Max to win by like 80 points and have it be a blowout and not interesting. So as long as it's close, I'm happy there. And uh, right now it's it's really close and really interesting. And it seems like Red Bull's the team to beat, actually, in Formula One, which uh, we'll see if that continues. we got to... Back-to-back-to-back races, so it should be really, really fun, and uh, I'm excited to watch the race coming up on Sunday. All right, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we will do Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. Got a bunch of really good questions this week, and uh, my name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, Wow, I've been talking for almost an hour and a half. Uh, My voice is shot. Um, I, I do have more to go though. And I, I want to share cause I, I prepared some thoughts and I, I, it's time for my favorite part of the show. It's ask Zach. It's where, uh, I answer questions from the audience in case you don't know how it works. You go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more you want to please do, uh, your dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. It also helps pay my rent. So, Hey, Please do uh, support me on Patreon. Uh, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I'll look at every single question, comment, concern, thought, idea, message, whatever. Look at every single one with my eyeballs. uh, And I pick the top couple to read on the show. Uh, The first question, it will do an easy one, a a low-key, relaxed, uh, 
chill one. Jay Rams right in says, Hey Zach, what are your thoughts so far on the Marvel Disney Plus series WandaVision? The Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Loki. I personally really like all of them. I was wondering what you think. Uh, so WandaVision and uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier, neither series actually grabbed my attention or made me want to watch them. I watched episode one of WandaVision. It was a weird sitcom. And I, I know it gets better, but I didn't care enough to keep watching. Uh, like you have to grab me initially or else I'm just not. I have a short attention span and I'm busy moving. Same with the Falcon Winter Soldier. I'm like, it just doesn't, it's not compelling enough to get me to care. Uh, but Loki, though, is amazing. Loki, from the jump, was good. It's easily the best um, Marvel show they have on Disney+. Plus. It might be my favorite Marvel thing I've ever watched, actually. And I, if you haven't watched Loki, I know it's high praise, but it's kind of the culmination of all 14 movies and then the evolution of the next step Marvel could be. It's really deep and really... Uh, thought-provoking, and uh, Loki's character is phenomenal. It's got Owen Wilson in it. Uh, I highly recommend it. One of the best things I've ever watched uh, from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, maybe my favorite I've ever watched. Uh, and that's saying a lot, because I really liked uh, Endgame and Infinity War. So, um, yeah, Loki. Loki is so much better than the other two. Like, I, not, I'm sure I, at some point I'll watch uh, WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, because I... I want to understand what's going on there, but I'm, I've been really busy moving, like moving across the ocean. It's a lot of stuff. So uh, when you're insanely busy and you only have so much time, I, I if, if it sucks, I turn it off and move on with my life and find something better to watch because I just don't want to sit down and watch a bad show when I'm already like, I'm just tired. I want to watch something good. Uh, Carter wrote in and said, I know you talked about your hatred of the MLB a couple podcasts ago, but how do you feel about the NBA? I hate it even more with the way it makes super teams. In particular, the Zion news is absurd to me. A 20-year-old who's been in the league two years is so upset the Pelicans have not formed a super team already that he wants out. A 20-year-old at the end of his second year. NBA players are the most entitled athletes in the major four, and it drives me nuts. But if anyone has more thought, a more thought-out take, I'm missing it would be you. Uh, Carter, first of all, thank you. Um... Here's why I like the NBA. It's exciting. They celebrate interest and excitement. And the difference between baseball and the NBA, baseball doesn't like excitement, it seems like. And they discourage people from being individuals and being a star. Um, like, it's sad. You, you celebrate and have a, a home run. You get quieted and told to shut up and sit down. It's so dumb. Um like and by the way, the NBA play, basketball is not perfect. Basketball, like the China stuff, really, really aggravates me and creeps me out. The way that the NBA just like bows down to China, I'm like, oh, that's they have like communist work camps. Like that's not cool. So I don't. I, there, there's stuff I don't like about the NBA, but I, I, I will say that um, the playoffs are fun. Like the playoffs are they've been amazing. So if if you want like good stuff to watch that's really competitive and got good storylines and good star players, Trey Young and Devin Booker and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George missing two free throws at the end of a key game and DeAndre Ayton and Giannis. Like, there are stars everywhere. There's interesting people, good storylines. Um, the NBA is awesome. Now, as far as Zion, he might be a little bit entitled. I Sure. Um, I also, like... 
can you blame Zion for wanting to win, Carter? Like, Carter, I, I hear you like you're annoyed, but I don't think he wants a super— I think he wants to win games. And I, I am sure that if you're Zion Williamson and you are in the building, if you don't like how stuff is run, speak up. Because the, the best thing about the NBA, what I love about the NBA— that I, I wish the NFL did more of this is that the players are very empowered. The players have power in the NBA. They speak up and they get what they want. LeBron wants a player, he gets a player. I kind of like that. I wish Russell Wilson had that power for the Seattle Seahawks. Like there are times I'm like, hey, I, Aaron Rodgers is trying, and and maybe we shouldn't crucify him the way we are. Although I don't. That's more, it's not what he's doing, it's how he's handling. The Aaron Rodgers thing, it's not what he's doing, it's how he's handling it that I don't like. But I got no problem with players saying, hey, I, I want things run differently. And if you're the, the, if you play for New Orleans and you're Zion Williamson and your team sucks and they're getting rid of people that you think are helping you win or going to help you win, and it, yeah, you have every right to speak up. You're the number one overall pick, you have, you're the face of the franchise. And if they don't want to do it your way, you can ask for a trade and say, I want out. I'm not coming back. I mean, it's actually not. I know you're saying he's a crybaby or, you know, he, whatever. But I I don't think he's entitled. I think that's how maybe sports should be. Like, uh, I, I, I want to cover in the next episode the, the NCAA and what happened with uh, the ruling there. Uh, the players have the power. Like, we, we have all these people that run the league. But the reality is without players, there is no league. So... I like when a guy like Zion uses his status to say, hey, I want better for myself. I want to win. I want to have better people around me. Uh, I want to hire this coach, not that one. Like, that stuff isn't bad. And I think, Carter, you're a little short-sighted when – have you ever been in a job and you hate your boss or you hate what your boss is doing or you hate how things are being run and you wish you could speak up but you can't? Or you have a teacher who is – being an idiot, doing something dumb, and you can't—you have no power to speak up because they just rule over you like a dictator. There's nothing wrong with a guy like Zion who sees a problem and can speak up about it. And I, I think the threat to leave is really more to say, give me what I want, rather than it's to say, I'm actually wanting to leave. I, think, I don't think Zion wants to leave as much as he really wants to, to win. Andrew writes in, he says, hi, Zach. How are you with the Dallas Mavericks GM and head coach now gone? What do you... How, how are you with it? Okay, so anyway. Hi, Zach. How are you with the Dallas Mavericks GM and head coach now gone? What do you think that they are going to do to make Lucas stay and sign the max contract? Andrew, love you so much. Can you we, we find some punctuation somehow to make it easier to read? Anyway, um, I want to talk about it. I, I don't know how to answer this. What do you do? You give Luca what he wants. If you want Luca to sign a big contract, give him what he wants. That's a short answer. But Dallas... Their head coach, the Mavericks head coach, uh, Rick Carlisle, stepped down after 13 years with the Mavericks. Now, remember, he won a title uh, with Dirk Nowitzki. He, he won a title as a coach and as a player, which is kind of rare. It's like one of like 11 people ever who've done that. Uh, and th there are two big problems with Rick Carlisle and why he left. Who is He's a very accomplished coach who I'm sure at some point will coach again in the NBA and get whatever he wants. Um, number one. You know, Rick Carlisle apparently had a strange relationship with Luka. Luka Doncic and uh, him just didn't quite, um, they didn't quite gel, and there's some there's some headbutting there. But also, uh, apparently, uh, Bob Vulgaris, who is the, he's in the front office, was telling Rick Carlisle, 
hey, you got to start this guy, not that guy. Like Boban Marjanovic, he said, you got to start Boban. You, you got to play him game one uh, in, in the Mavericks series. And he said, I don't want to do that. And there's a power struggle. And when you're a coach and the front office isn't leaving coaching to coaches and you are established and have the ability to walk away and go find a better situation like Rick Kyle, Carlisle obviously can, um, you leave. And that's why he left. Um, he's By the way, it's Rick Carlisle has two years left on his contract. So if the Mavericks wanted to be, you know, punks about jerks about it, I didn't want to say like the D word or something. Um, if Rick Carlisle, if the Mavericks wanted to make Rick Carlisle's life difficult, they could have said, hey, uh, if you go somewhere, we want to trade you there because we still own your rights. But they said, we're just going to let him go walk away, which shows they got a lot of respect for him. Uh, I think it says a lot about Mark Cuban, but it sounds like Bob Bulgaris in the front office is the problem. He's like this analytics guy who is a gambler who somehow acquired a lot of power. It honestly kind of reminds me of, it's like a a less toxic version of um, the guy in Houston coaching for the, you know, being the GM, you know, kind of with uh, uh, the Texans. Um I, I don't know. I, I'm curious how Mark Cuban, the owner, handles things. Mark Cuban, the owner of the Mavs, does not strike me as a dummy. So I, I'm curious how he's going to handle stuff. I, I don't know. But the, the short answer is give Luka whatever he wants. Give Luka Doncic whatever he wants. And uh, then he'll probably sign a max contract with you. He wants to win, too. Wants to win, wants to make money. Uh, oh, I'm so hungry. My, my mouth, I'm having really bad acid reflux and because I'm hungry, I think. Uh, Will writes in, says, hi, Zach. Hope you're getting all settled into Hawaii. During the move, did you get a chance to watch any of E3 this year? Are you particularly excited about any video games coming out? Uh, eh, E3 was not very interesting this year. Um, there was no key game that I walked away going like, wow, look at that. Like, Halo Infinite was kind of the game I, I cared about, and we didn't even get a release date. So E3 was just kind of a, a non-starter. It was very boring. Uh, and I, I'll be honest, I've been busy moving. I haven't played games in a while. My, my video games are literally all packed up right now in a box. Um, but my, my, my three favorite things are sports, movies, and video games. I love those three. It's, you know, I, I love them very much. Um, I, I did go to, a couple years ago, I went to E3 and it was like, fine. Lines are really long. You stand in line all day to play a game for a little bit of time that, is just a demo and it's not like I don't recommend anyone go to E3 ever if they ever you know open it up to the public again. Uh, and E3 in general, I stopped watching it maybe two years ago when I realized like I can just look up what happens. There's always like recap videos and stuff. You read what happened online. It's kind of like, um, like you don't know. I watched the first round of the NBA draft because I'm curious about that. After that, I just read a recap who, who got drafted where because I don't after round one, I don't care anymore. E3 is like round seven of the NFL draft. You just read what happened. Um, I do have another thought. You know, I'm really not impressed with PlayStation right now. Um, There's no reason to buy a PS5 right now. Not that I'm I'm busy. I I couldn't afford it anyway. I'm busy moving and I'm like literally like stretched to the max. But uh, like every there's like little hidden fees when you move everywhere. You're like, oh, I forgot about I got to buy another one of those or whatever. Um, So I'm not buying a PS5 or Xbox uh, Series X is what it's called. What's it called? The new one. Anyway, point is, there's no reason to buy a, a PS5. They keep, you know, everything's backwards. Everything's coming out on the PS4. It's like, what, are there any exclusives to PS5 at all? Other than Ratchet and Clank, I don't know. 
Um, and I became a Microsoft person um, during the last generation. I was always Sony, 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 Sony. And then uh, Xbox said you can have external hard drives, and Sony couldn't figure their, their stuff out. And Sony kept doing stuff I didn't like. And over, I'm like, man, Microsoft just is killing it right now. They got their better service. They care more about their fan base. They're doing better stuff. They're better to their users in general. So I, I became very loyal to Microsoft because of how well they treat their, their customers compared to Sony. Um, I guess the final thing I'll say, the, less, the, the next big game I'm excited for is uh, Kenna or Kena uh, Bridge of Spirits. It's this... I love a 3D Metroidvania game. It's like a Zelda-style action-adventure game, and I, I that looks awesome. Like, Horizon will be cool, Horizon 2, whenever that comes out way down the road. But uh, I think August 24th, I think, is when Kena Bridge of Spirits comes out. That'll be amazing. That, that, I'll be busy playing football or you know, covering football, and I might find time to play that occasionally because uh, it's I just – that game looks awesome. So, uh yeah. Uh, that's my thoughts on E3 and video games, Will. Allie writes in. Allie says, Hi, Zach. I hope you're doing well. Have a question, but it's sort of inserted in one of these fun facts. Number one, Jameis Winston has the most turnovers in the NFL since 2014 among active quarterbacks, despite not starting a game last year and not being drafted until 2015. So, oh my God. He's got the most turnovers since 2014, even though two of the years he's not even eligible to be putting up turnovers. That's how... Wow. There's a video of, I, I put on my Instagram story today of him like swinging. There's all his workouts. ESPN roasts him every time. I'm sure his workouts do something, but they look so goofy. Like, oh my goodness, Jameis Winston. Like, oh, that's so cringe looking. Um, number two, Adam Pacman Jones is the only player in NFL history to both record a sack on defense and be sacked on offense in a career. How did Pacman Jones get sacked? Did he like run the ball once, get stuffed in the backfield, or did he play quarterback from play? I should figure that out. That's an interesting thing I want to look up. Number three, this one's pretty cool and unknown. The NFL used to have a third-place game, much like the FIFA has today with the World Cup. It was played 10 times following the season from 1960 to 1969. Uh, nice. Uh, the, 19, the 1969 season, it was played each time at the Orange Bowl. Obviously, the Lions have the best record um, in the game as they were undefeated in three games. I'm wondering, Zach... If you have any thoughts on if the NFL should bring back this game, possibly as a replacement to the Pro Bowl. So imagine the team that loses the NFC Championship game plays the team that loses the AFC Championship game. Who was that last year? It's so funny how I don't remember. So the Packers would have played. Gosh, dang. Who did the who did the who did the, the Chiefs play in the AFC Championship game last year? I don't remember. I want to say Baltimore, Tennessee. No, no, because Baltimore beat Tennessee. Buffalo, probably Buffalo. It's got to be Buffalo. Anyway, imagine that. Like you have a, a game for third place in uh, the NFL. How can I not remember that? Dang it. It's got to be Buffalo, right? Like this, it was like an ugly game. And I think, I think like, was it the regular season? Am I, am I crazy? Chad Henney had to play. I don't remember, man. It's been so long. Wow. I really just get going. I forget about stuff. Um, okay, so a game for third place. It's a cool idea. Uh, I didn't know about it, by the way, so I didn't know that ever happened. I thought I knew my NFL history pretty well. Never heard about that in my life. NFL players would not want to risk injury, though. FIFA is way – like, soccer is way less dangerous. You can play a third place game, and it's for bragging rights, whatever. Um, 
if there's no shot at a title, why would an NFL pl- player put their body in the line? Unless you're paying them a massive amount of money, then maybe. Then, then maybe. But then you still might get a couple guys opting out. So I would end the Pro Bowl. Actually, there's no need to play a Pro Bowl game. You don't need a third-place game. Don't have anybody play meaningless football games because if you're not playing for a title, college football or NFL, why are you playing? It's In high school, it makes sense because you're not guaranteed any more games and you just play for the love of the game. But in professional football, which I, college football basically is professional football, frankly. like They should make money. You shouldn't put your body on the line for a game that doesn't matter. Unless you're, especially if you're going to be an NFL player. Like when Kyle Pitts opted out of the bowl game, I, I respect that. And guys who don't play in the Pro Bowl, I go, yeah. And and you ever watch the Pro Bowl? It's terrible. Guys don't try. It's not it's not good football. So there's a reason why. My answer, Allie, is probably, I would imagine there's a reason why they canceled it after 1969 Nice. And I, they probably did it for a reason and they probably should leave it dead. But I like the thought. Thank you for writing it. The Handman writes in, he said, hey, Zach, I'm pretty sure you're, I remember you saying something about this in a past video, but what's your taste in music? Uh, I love sappy, um, like, acoustic music, honestly. Like, any song acoustic, I like instantly. I just think that, uh, like, uh, who's that? Olivia Rodrigo, Driver's License Acoustic. The acoustic version is better. Uh, I like Callum Scott Biblical. I, I really like slow piano, guitar, acoustic music. Alec Benjamin's awesome. But my Favorite artist of all time, and it's not even close, is John Bellion. Um, I was at, I was going out for, fiance and I were getting donuts yesterday. My fiance goes, you want donuts? And I go to this place called Pip's Original Donuts in Portland. And they, the donuts, they're like tiny little pastries, but they're not donuts. When I think donuts, I want Krispy Kreme. Because I, I'm a, I, my life was very chaotic as a kid. And so I, and therapy teaches you this. Go to therapy, you learn who you are, you learn about yourself. Uh, so I am a person who I really like predictability, and I really like structure, and I really like um, – I know I like to know what to expect. So when I expect a donut, I'm expecting Krispy Kreme donuts, and Krispy Kreme is my favorite donut place, and I want – if I'm getting donuts, I'm going because I want Krispy Kreme, not because I want to try some random miscellaneous pastry. Same reason when I go to get Thai food, I order chicken yellow curry because I don't go to Thai food to try something new. I go to Thai food – because I want to get chicken yellow curry. I'm, a ta- I'm running a tangent now. The reason why I say all this, and by the way, like uh, I, there are, there's a thing called the Keen Unique Sandals. That's my favorite shoe. I buy the same shoe every time because I just, I'm a creature of habit. I really like that. I like consistency. Anyway, go to therapy. It'll help you a lot and, and make you like effed up and more aware of how you're effed up. <laughs> um, my favorite artist is John Bellion. Bar none, he's the Krispy Kreme, the... Keen Unique, the uh, Chicken Yellow Curry of musicians. When I want to hear music, I want to hear John Bellion. I'm open to other stuff, but if you ask me, hey, who do you want to be listening to right now? It's John Bellion. He's my favorite artist. It's amazing. Um, His lyrics are really deep and thoughtful. Uh, He's got these making of videos I can't recommend enough. John Bellion, making of, look it up. You'll look up guillotine making of. It's 20 minutes, and you'll be like, dang, this guy cares. It's really cool. Uh, He's got so much passion. It comes out in that guillotine making a video. Um, he's got amazing music, like the way it makes you feel, makes you want to dance and move. It's just awesome. The dude can play piano. He can sing acoustic music. Like His voice is amazing live because he's just a naturally good singer. Uh, he can also rap. The song Let's Begin is a rap song that is made by the same guy who can play 
the song Human on piano and sing acoustic. Like, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Like, he's got such range as a singer and as a musician, the amount of different stuff he can do. He's a great producer of music. Um, he once used a keyboard to make a guitar sound in a song, uh, Superman. So, um, man, I, I just, I love John Bellion. John Bellion is my favorite artist, bar none. I should probably share that stuff more. Um, Will writes in, he says, Hey, Zach, are there any discussions or debates in the sports world that you're personally done with? Things you don't want bringing up again. I got a couple. Uh, Michael Jordan versus LeBron. I don't care. I don't care. You can't compare them. They're played in different eras. They're different people. I don't like comparing Michael Jordan to LeBron James. It's a tired argument. People do it in March when there's nothing happening, I guess. Like, the, the dead time of year is all about that debate, and I couldn't care less. I don't care. I don't want to have it. I, I, I don't care. How can you possibly compare guys who never played against each other and it's just different. It's, I don't know. And like the other one I hate is Tom Brady versus Joe Montana. Tom Brady's clearly better. Tom Brady is a better, like it's, it's not an argument. Tom Brady won seven titles in the NFL, went to 10 Super Bowls. People still to this day tell me, well, Joe Montana was four and in the Super Bowl. It's like, well, yeah, so he won four titles. Sure. He also only got there four times. So that's already like less. Um, and if your season ends with a loss, why does it matter whether you lost in the NFC championship game or the Super Bowl? Like Tom Brady lost at the end of a season three times in the Super Bowl. How many times did Joe Montana lose before he even got to the Super Bowl? You get what I'm saying? Why do we put? Why is it bad to lose the Super Bowl? Hey, it's better. Hey, Tom Brady got to ten Super Bowls in his lifetime. He's played like twenty-one years. That's about fifty percent chance that Tom Brady is going to get to the Super Bowl next year, and even probably an even greater chance he's going to win it. So it's like, what? That's unbelievable, unbelievable. Maybe it's a less percent chance. I don't know, but I just Tom Brady's won the last game of the year seven different. Times I really badly want to interview uh, someone who won a Super Bowl or won a national title game or won a state championship game because I never I never got to finish my season with a win because like you climb to the top and there's no more football to be played and you're like huh what's up what's that like I want to know Brady's done it seven times the debate is over John Joe Montana versus Tom Brady it's not an argument anymore. Don't hold it against Tom Brady that he lost in three Super Bowls. Joe Montana, how many times did he lose before he got to a Super Bowl? Isn't that worse? I think it's worse. So, whatever. I don't know. I don't care about LeBron versus MJ. I don't care about Tom Brady versus uh, Montana. One, because it's a dumb argument. There's no argument between Montana and Brady. The other one, because I just don't care. I, I don't... The Jordan-LeBron thing is just so done. It's I just don't care. Like... Excuse my, pardon my French. Michael Jordan was an asshole. <laughs> like, yeah, he, amazing basketball player. Seems like an awful person to play basketball with. Like, frankly, watch The Last Dance. It sounds like a bit, like, who's going to enjoy retirement more? Michael Jordan or LeBron? LeBron is going to enjoy that retirement. If you want to talk about, let's not compare their basketball, um, like, Careers. Let's compare who who's like happier. LeBron seems happier than Michael Jordan. 
that should count for something. You wanna hear an interesting opinion. Hey, um, Michael Jordan seems miserable. <laughs> like he's the kind of guy who's so nitpicky and like so harsh about everything he can't even enjoy his life. Where LeBron is just like happy. Hangs out with his kids, has Taco Tuesday. Taco Tuesday! Like, that's the kind of guy I would aspire to be, like, way more appealing than bitter, angry Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? Go watch The Last Dance. It it makes you, like, kind of cringe. Raphael Roots said, God, this is a long episode. And I got at two hours now. There's no way. It's probably like an hour 45, but still, it's really long. Raphael, last question, says, Hey, Zach. Hope we're doing well and all is good. This weekend, the ELF, the European League of Football, started. The ELF is the first professional football league in Europe since NFL Europe. There are quite there there are quite some former college athletes playing here in Europe, and hence it's pretty entertaining. What do you think about other professional leagues outside of America? And do you think you'll follow it occasionally? Love the content and greetings from Switzerland. Hey, Raphael. Yeah, uh, my friend Marcel is coaching for the Barcelona Dragons right now. Uh, I sent I, I gave him a microphone and a mic stand. And made sure he had it and he put it in his luggage. He flew to Spain to coach. He's got it there. Uh, at some point in the next couple days or weeks, I think probably Friday actually, um, we're gonna, I'm going to interview him. So we've been trying to, we were going to do it last Sunday and they had a game late and then didn't go back. So like he's just busy, of, at, at completely understandable. Marcel is incredibly busy coaching uh, f- professional football. But at some point, I really want to get Marcel on here to talk about the European League of Football. What's that like? Uh, how is Spain, by the way? Spain looks beautiful. Promote the league. Talk about what's happening. Uh, they actually lost their first game, but the stadium looks beautiful in Barcelona. Oh, my goodness. So, um, yeah, Rafael, I will cover the ELF at some point. And, in fact, I'll have an interview with one of their coaches. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. I should probably try to go higher up the food chain, too, because Marcel's like a defensive line coach. I should probably try to get, like, the head coach. I probably could, honestly. I'm sure I honestly could get the head coach of the Barcelona Dragons, but we'll do one step at a time and— after Marcel, I get in touch with the media team, and I, I forget. I often sometimes forget to use official channels. Like I hate ESPN so much, and I hate networks so much. I just like, and honestly, I can't say this. Working with college football programs is such a pain in the butt because they athletes don't have freedom. Like if you're if you're a college football player, they control everything you do. And so coordinating interviews, I've had so many interviews lined up with a college football player where the school then steps in. It's like, that's why the Keaton Slovis interview is so cool. I'm, I'm like, oh, it actually happened because I've had other quarterbacks lined up to do interviews with me. And the, the quarterback is DMing that Instagram all fired up. Like, yeah, I can't wait. I love your show. And then the school's like, no, you can't do it. I'm like, they're like, that guy's not a network. I'm like, oh, come on, come on. So I forget to do is like, I often ignore the regular channels you can use to interview people is my point. Uh, but yeah, uh, Raphael, ELF football, I, I I will cover that at some point. Probably not like game to game, but I will talk to Marcel and hear his experience and hear his story and hear what that's like. Um, well, I've got so much acid reflux right now. I'm hungry. I'm tired. We're two hours in. I love you. I appreciate you. I will see you very soon. Uh, I'm a dingus, man. This episode is so long. I, I keep I keep wanting to make shorter episodes that are more manageable to make and I can make faster. And then I never do that, and I make, like, two-hour-long episodes because I just I, – I'm too ambitious. I got to get better at paring it down, and hopefully the next episode is, like, 45 minutes and will be shorter to make and I have four topics, not 12. Anyway, I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you're doing very, very well. I, I'm really enjoying my life. I'm really happy. I hope you like the shirt. I hope you like uh, the, the audio. Hope you have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are – 